good. All the time. Aren't we grateful to uh, live in a nation, in a country that allows us to worship Him freely, allows us to show up on a Sunday morning and study an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk? I'm sorry, I cannot figure out how to, how to get patriotism and Habakkuk to somehow link together. It's just not happening today. But I am grateful for an amazing God that allows us to, um, once again, live in a country that uh, allows us the freedom to, to worship an, an amazing God. And um, He does great things. America's not going to save us. America's not salvation. The flag isn't the end all, right? Jesus Christ is. And um, that's what we're here to talk about this morning. If my mic cooperates today. So, so why is the Statue of Liberty standing in New York Harbor? Because she can't sit down. Why did the duck say bang? Why did the duck say bang? Because he's a fire quacker. He's a fire quacker. What did one flag say to the other? Nothing. He just waved. Anybody else have one? Come on, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. John, you got one? Come on, let's hear it. No? Sarah said, no, 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 no. Why does the United States never knock at your door? Why does the United States never knock at your door? Because freedom rings. Freedom rings, absolutely. Freedom rings. Gonna switch? Freedom rings. Fantastic. What else? Who else got one? It wasn't me. Better now than in about 30 minutes. Anybody else have one? Come on, there's got to be more cheesy jokes out there. Why did the stripes be on the flag? I don't know. Because of our nation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get it. That's a good one. All right, so let's say the books of the Bible together, starting from Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Man, you guys are getting good. Getting good. That's the last. How many is that? Count backwards. One, two, That's the last 12. Now you only have like a little bit in front of that and a little bit behind that. And you have the whole book of the Bible. All the books of the Bible memorized. It'd be fantastic. It'd be a beautiful thing. When you think of the word faith, what definition, idea comes to mind? Whether we were born and raised in the church or whether this is the first time you've ever come to church, we have this idea about what faith is. I think this is a real problem because much of us, many of us who are here, what we do, why we're here, a lot of what we have is about faith. And I think we have a problem because 
We don't use a biblical definition of faith even when we read the Bible and it speaks of faith. We still use a skewed perception of what real faith actually is. Our culture often dictates what this word means. So as we look at this not-so-inconsequential prophet, I want us to look at what we're going to call the other side of faith. This part of faith is rarely seen. So I want you to go with me in your Bibles, and I think this, was going to be, this one right here is going to be up on the screen, but in a little while I want you, we're going to go back to Hebrews 11. So in the front of your Bible, God has put a table of contents, and it has little page numbers there, and you can go there and find where Hebrews is. So I want you to go find Hebrews in your Bible, put a little piece of paper or a little ribbon there, um, because we're going to come back there at the very end of the service. But I want us to get a biblical definition of faith um, before we go any farther. Does everybody find it? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 tells us exactly what faith is. Do I have that one? All right. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must what believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him here's our definition of faith this is what biblical faith is without faith it's impossible to please God if I'm an amazingly moral and upright person and I and I don't have any faith can I please God no can't do it. If I'm making Mother Teresa type sacrificial uh, giving and loving and, and taking care of orphans and doing just absolutely incredible things for mankind in every area of my life, making selfless acts of kindness and for, for God's sake even, but I don't have faith. Can I please God? No. This is an important matter. The biblical definition of faith It takes faith to please God. The biblical definition is what? Faith is believing in God. You have to believe that he exists and that what? He rewards those who seek him. We're going to look at what faith is not and then we're going to look at what faith is. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not just positive thinking. We have this idea that faith is just just thinking positive, right? You go to the Little League baseball game and um, we're down by three points and you get in the dugout and you're trying to get their spirits up and uh, little Johnny's up to bat and you just say, come on guys, all we got to have is a little what? Faith. <laughs> really? All really after there is some positive thinking, right? We're just after some positive thinking. And there's nothing wrong with positive thinking. It can do great things. It does amazing things, but it's not faith. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Thinking... Uh, Thinking of faith is positive thinking, and we begin to think that it's the absence of doubt. Many times in Scripture, we see the exact opposite, in fact. We often see someone doubting God, but then they go ahead and follow through with what God tells them to do, and they do the right thing, and what happens? God comes through. One of my favorites is a story about Peter. He was in prison. He was going to be decapitated in the morning. He was going to be beheaded in the morning. And the church gets together in a small house, a relative's house, and begins to pray. And they're pouring their hearts out to God, and Peter's, of course, praying as well. And, and all of a sudden, an angel stops by and, and cuts him loose, and he finds himself out in the street. And the, the scripture actually describes it as Peter thought he was having a dream. 
I'm out in the streets. How did this happen? How is it possible that I am not still in prison? So what does he do? Well, naturally he goes to the relative's house and knocks on the door and, and presents himself to the, the local congregation. So he knocks on the door and someone comes to the door. Her name is Rhoda. She opens little people and looks outside and Peter stayed in there. She slams little people and runs back inside because they're having a prayer meeting. And she interrupts the prayer meeting. She says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Peter's here. He's outside. He's at the door. She should have probably let him in, but instead she just goes and runs and tells them. And what do they, how do they react? You, you must have seen his ghost. He must be already dead and you must be seeing his ghost. Leave us alone. We're trying to pray here. Right? There was real doubt. They didn't, they didn't think Peter was actually standing at the door. They didn't have any faith. They were doubting. Doubt isn't a good thing, but please realize that faith is not the absence of doubt. I think this is the blue side over here. There's a lot of blues right over here. And over here is all the red side. This is all the reds over here. And you guys are just kind of a good mix in between. It's a pretty good deal. I don't know how you organize that, but it's pretty awesome. So faith is not positive thinking. It's not the absence of doubt. Third, it's not a strong imagination. It's, it's not being able to picture in your mind what you want God to do and then God doing it, right? That's not, a, that's not faith. That's a false teaching. They call it name it and claim it. Have you ever heard of that phrase? You can imagine the outcome you want in your head and you, you have enough faith buster that you can conceive God and God actually does that for you. Because you claimed that promise. It's nice to have a strong imagination, but it's nothing, it has nothing to do with biblical faith. Of course, there are catastrophizers who just come up with a worst case scenario and the worst situation ever. And there's those that are like the, the happy facers, you know, those people that always have that, that happy look on their face and can't see any problems in the world and just go around saying, don't worry, be happy all the time. Interesting personalities but not biblical faith. A strong imagination is not biblical faith. So what is faith? We talk about it often. We define it this way in many cases. But faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. Right? Obedience. Trusting God enough to do what he says. That's a real definition of faith. But the other side, the side that we're going to talk about this morning, the other side is trusting God enough to not quit. Even if I don't see any reward right now, even if I can't see how God is working directly in my life, the other side of faith is trusting God enough to not quit. Many non-believers look at this side of faith as stupidity. Many Christians don't think that just making it through the day is a step of faith, but it is. So in the book of Habakkuk, I want you to turn there with me also. I know, it's a hard one to find. You can do it. I have faith in you. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. All you got to do is have enough faith. You see I use that? Okay, I'll, I'll try not to anymore. Habakkuk, did you find it? Um, if you've got a paper Bible, it would be fantastic because you can highlight, circle, underline some things in here. Even if you have a, a digital copy, you can do the same. Um, it's a little harder to circle things, but I think you can highlight um, as we go through Habakkuk, there's three chapters in Habakkuk, and um, we're going to highlight a few things uh, like we normally do. The majority of Habakkuk is really just two questions and a, a faith tune. 
we see a couple of complaints, actually the complaints, but we could call them questions just to give Habakkuk the benefit of the doubt. That he's kind of asking God some questions rather than really complaining. Does your Bible say Habakkuk's complaint as a, as a subtitle? Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's sort of a complaint. But anyway, there's, there's two questions or two complaints, and then, and then Habakkuk answers with a, a little tune of real faith. And we're going to call it the other side of faith. Question number two, or question number one. Let's start with one, and then we'll go to two. Sound good? All right, question number one. Why are you tolerating wickedness? Why are you tolerating wickedness? Have you ever asked that question? We talked about it a little bit last week. Have you ever asked the question, oh, God, why are you putting up with this craziness? We had a client this week, a birthline, came in and was being physically, sexually abused on a continual basis. We knew it. We knew it was happening. She admitted it. She was, I mean, obviously we called the, we called the hotlines. We called the, the numbers and tried to get her help. Um, it was so difficult to deal with. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Those were the exact thoughts that came to my mind. Why are you letting this happen? How could you put up with this kind of wickedness in the world? God's answer in Habakkuk, he says, I'm not. But I have a plan that will shock you. All right, let's go to Habakkuk chapter 1. Look at it with me. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? See where he's going? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and the justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous and, the, and, and that, so that justice is perverted. And here comes God's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Here's the shocker. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Are you ready for it? Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. What? That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are the law to themselves. They promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like the desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh to fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and go on guilty men whose own strength is their God. What? God is going to raise up wicked Babylonians? In Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and what? Besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put on the treasure, put in the treasure house of his God. What took place? Exactly what Habakkuk just said. 
exactly what God told Habakkuk to write. God caused the wicked to have success over the Israelites. Well, that is weird. Why is God doing this? Which brings us to our second question. Chapter 1, verse 12. Habakkuk's second complaint starts. The question is, why would you use them? They're worse than we are. And God's answer is, I'll deal with them later. For now, I'm dealing with you. I'll deal with them later. Look at chapter 1 and verse 12. O Lord, you are not from everlasting. He starts buttering God up just a bit here, doesn't he? He's, you know, I just got done complaining and God told me what was, what was going to happen. And now Habakkuk comes back to the second complaint. He's a little softer this time. O Lord, you are not from everlasting. My God, from my, my Holy One, we, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you are ordained, ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent with, while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks he catches them in his net he gathers them in his in his dragnet he rejoices and is glad therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy down to verse and and here's here's god's answer starting in verse two of chapter two Then the Lord replies, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. He wanted this message to get out, right? So he wanted him to write it down. Verse 4, focus on this one. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Goes on to say what the what's going on it goes on to say and then and then god answers woe woe to him woe to him woe to him there's there's five woes here that he talks about that uh that he's going to do to um the wicked woe to him who piles up stolen goods uh verse what is this verse six you see it that's number one number two is in verse nine woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin okay Number three is, uh, there's five woes here. Number three is verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Uh, Verse 15 is number four. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin so that they might get drunk so he can gaze on their naked bodies. Uh, Number five is verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. (laughs) Or to lifeless stone, wake up, right? idolaters that's that's the fifth woe but you see i want us to focus and and kind of dial in on that middle part of verse four living by faith not necessarily successful and thriving but living by faith is surviving and then we have a faith tune chapter three is the tune of faith He's, he's got it all together. Well, he doesn't have it all together, but he's still trusting in an almighty God. 
chapter 3 all the way through um, all the way down through verse 19 but let's focus on 16 through 19 for just a second <clears throat> look at it with me chapter 3 verse 16 says I heard and my heart pounded my lips quivered at the sound decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled and yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet what? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. I love this picture of faith as a survivor, not necessarily as a thriver. Right? Sometimes we get this idea that, that in order to, to have faith, you have to be thriving and you have to be successful. There are going to be times when there's... No figs on the tree. Uh, there's, there's no grapes on the vine. The, the olive crop fails. The fields produce nothing. There's no sheep in the pen, cattle in the yard. Right? There's going to be times like that. This is the other side of faith that we want to focus on today. So there's the academics. There's the Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3. That's kind of where we're at. So, so how do we apply it to our lives? We've kind of gotten some glimpses of it. But let's take it home. Number one, we need to think about how to complain to God. If you ever wanted to complain to God, God, this is a bad deal. How come you're putting me through this? If you ever thought about complaining about God and just, just didn't let it out? When you're confused and can't figure out what God's doing, when you feel like he's left you out to just die, it's totally okay to complain to God. Notice that earlier I called these questions. Actually, they were complaints. And notice that he didn't complain the first time and then God answered and then goes to complain a second time and God just zapped him. He said, you're, you're done. You complained enough. God didn't answer that way. God didn't act that way. He answered him a second time. He came back and answered. God wants us to complain to him. God answered a second time. I want you to write this down. Psalms 13, Psalms 22, and Psalms 88. Uh, we're going to look at Psalms 13 for just a second, but write down the other two as well. Psalms 22 and Psalms 88, if you're taking notes. All three of these are worship songs designed to be part of worship, designed to be part of a, a worship service of the Israelites. It was in David's time, many different Many different writers wrote them, um, but look at verse or look at Psalms chapter thirteen with me. I don't think I put this on the screen. It's a long passage of scripture. Well, not really long. It's six verses. So go go to Psalms with me. You know where Psalms is? It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's a big, huge one. It has a whole bunch of chapters. Go with me there for just a second. Psalms chapter thirteen. Look at this. Can you imagine if if you came to church and and BJ got up here and he starts strumming along. In fact, BJ, why don't you start working on a little tune to go along with these words for, for just a minute? Because I think this would be a great song that we sing next, next week. What would, you, what would you think if you came in and these were the words on the screen that we were supposed to sing? Look at chapter 13 of Psalms, starting in verse 1. 
O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, and I, or, or I will die. Don't let my en- enemies gloat, saying, Why have, have def- we have defeated him? Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. It ends well, but it didn't start so well. Have you ever complained to God? If you've got a complaint, take it to God and then wait for the answer. Because God will answer. When we complain to God, he will answer. We looked at another one in Job this morning in discussion uh, question time. Sometimes God answers exactly the way he did Habakkuk. He, he answers through the, through the promptings of the Holy Spirit and, and leads and guides and gives scripture. Right? Sometimes he helps through, through other brothers and sisters in Christ. When we have a complaint, we, we talk to God about it. And sometimes our brothers and sisters bring, hey, have you thought about this verse lately? Have you, have you thought about these thoughts? Have you thought about these ideas? Think about what God is doing here. God brings us answers that way. He also brings us answers in the rearview mirror. I brought it up in our discussion group, but going through a a scenario or going through a period of life that's really tough, sometimes it's hard to see God. Sometimes it's hard to see, like, where where are you, God? How come you're not answering? How come you're allowing these wicked to to be tolerated? How come you're allowing these people to to win and and I keep losing? What's going on? Sometimes it's hard to see God. But when you get way down the road and you look in that rearview mirror and you look back and say, oh yeah, now I get it. Now I understand what you were trying to get accomplished, what you were trying to teach, what you were trying to help me see. Sometimes he, it feels like he's completely silent and it seems like later on down the road we can look back in the rearview mirror and see what he taught. There are so many complaining so much complaining, so many complainers uh, in this life. I've had some, some times of complaining. I've had some dark moments. I complain to God a lot and often. I'm glad I'm on this side of it I'm for now. But as I look back, I can see little glimpses that where he talked, where he communicated with me. He spoke to me through other people and said, okay, it's, it's going to be all right. We're going to make this. We're going we're gonna to see this through. We're going to survive. God showed up. But there was real, real fear. There was real doubt. He helped us all the way through. We need to learn to complain to God. Secondly, We need to understand how God's judgment works. How God's judgment works. God's judgment always starts with us. We see it in Habakkuk. We see it in many other places throughout Scripture. We get this idea that he he lines up all the worst of sinners. He he lines them all up in in front of the firing squad. and He's just going to blow these people away. And then when he's got all his anger bent and spent and and burned up, then he's going to deal with us. Right? That's That's what we think. But that's not the way it is. 
with greater privilege comes greater responsibility. 1 Peter 4.17, this one's on the screen. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what a terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. Where's judgment start? It starts with us. It started with the Israelites in Habakkuk's time. God said, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, the wicked, because I need you to get this. I need you to understand this. I need you to get what's going on here. I don't like this next one. James chapter 3 and verse 1. I wish standing up here gave me some extra credit points, but quite the opposite is true. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Judgment starts with us. Judgment starts with teachers. Judgment starts with leadership. There's a real possibility that you could make it, and I would not. Judgment always starts with us. Secondly, how does judgment work? God often deals with, his, with us as a group, not just as an individual. We think in this individualized, indiv- uh, indiv- inward-focused uh, mentality in America today that God is not going to uh, it's not going to affect others when I sin. It's not going to affect those around me when I don't do what I'm supposed to do. However, that's not true. Remember in the story of Jonah when he jumped out of the boat and uh, he got thrown out of the boat and everything was going wrong? What, what else went out before he did? The cargo went out, right? All of what they were trying to ship to that Tarshish didn't make it because Jonah was on the ship and he was in sin. The consequence was felt by those nearby. I will sometimes get caught in the backlash of your sin. You will get caught in the backlash of my sin. God often deals with us as a group, not just as an individual. It's the reason we should be involved in each other's lives. It's the reason scriptures like iron sharpens iron is in the Bible. We sharpen each other. We keep each other in check. Being here at church services, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, being involved in the church activities. Why do we do that? Because we can help keep each other in line. We can help us all make it to heaven together. So God oftentimes judges as a group, not just as an individual. And lastly... God's judgment works like this. Sometimes God uses the wicked to discipline his people. It's what he did here in Habakkuk. And the last thing I want us to take home today is what the other side of faith looks like. You know, we think about the essence of faith. I think the essence of faith is trust, right? Trusting God. We mentioned it earlier. Do what he says. Sometimes faith faith looks like a, a powerful conqueror. Right? He rides in on a white horse and he's got eyes ablazing and, and sword raised and he's conquering the world. But there's also another side. There's a side where, where faith looks like a stubborn survivor. That's the other side of faith. If you were a painter and you were commissioned to draw faith in the midst of trial... If you were commissioned to paint a picture of faith in the midst of trial, which would you choose? How would you paint it? I think some would paint it as that, that white horse and that, that 
man up on top of that white horse with sword raised. But maybe you would paint it as a stubborn survivor. Maybe the horse has a limp and your garments are soiled and stained and torn. Eyes are red and tear-filled. The sword isn't raised, it's dragging alongside on the ground. The figure is slumped over and the character saying, You can knock me down, but you can't keep me down. You can run me over, but I will get up. The faith picture of a stubborn survivor is just as legit as the conquering, victorious person who comes in on a white horse. I would posit this picture, this picture of the one who is a, a stubborn survivor is faith at its most powerful. It's stubborn and it's not giving up. When the fig tree doesn't have buds, when there's no grapes on the vine, no harvest in the fields, no cattle in the stalls, a picture of real faith, a stubborn survivor. Okay, now go back to Hebrews 11 with me. We're going to end with this. Hebrews 11. What is this chapter known for, by the way? It's the hall of faith, right? It's it's the faith chapter. So we see in the beginning of this this chapter um, just some amazing stories of amazing people who had faith and what great things they got accomplished, right? And it's it almost seems like the the author of Hebrews is going to write for pages and pages and chapters and chapters and chapters, right? Because he starts out with with all of these great stories and he tells some details about what happened in each of these each of these people's lives and how they how their faith brought them through these great things and they came out on the other side conquerors, right? All the way through, let's see, all, um, let's go down uh, verse 13. Uh, let's see. I think we want to start in verse 13. You see the first part is all about how great things were. And, and the last part is sort of like, eh, not, not, not quite so much. Verse 13, uh, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things should um, things show that they are looking for a country of their, not of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had, had left, they, they would not have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Right? All of these great people did great things. Look down a little bit farther. Uh, down to about 36. Actually, it starts in verse 35. Right in the middle of verse 35. Look at it with me. You got it? Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better, a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogged, some, uh, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went out and sheep... Um, in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Doesn't sound like the, the amazing conquerors, right? They were kind of beat down a bit. 
Now look what it says in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Church, it's not always going to be. It's not always going to be success. It's not always going to be we're going to thrive. There's going to be times when we face troubles. There's going to be times when we face hard times. That's when this side of faith needs to show up. That stubborn survivor. I love to spend time in that first part of chapter 11, Hebrews 11, but I really rarely spend time, too much time in the end. If I had to pick, I'd, st- I'd just stick with the first part. I'd just stick with, you know, all those great things and how they, you know, conquered everyone they were around and, you know, Satan just bowed down to them. That's not always legit. It's not always the way it is. I want us to be obedient, to have God show up in a big way. But I also want us to be good at the other side of faith, being that stubborn survivor. Many of us will never have a Habakkuk-type experience. We may never experience another country or another nation come in and overtake us and take us into exile. We may never have that. You, we may never even have the, the moment in our lives where, where we don't see light at the end of the tunnel. We may not have those major moments or those major times in our lives when everything is difficult. It may just be little rough times that God says, hold on a sec. A side of your faith that hasn't really shown up is that other side, that stubborn survivor side. Yes, it's okay to thrive, but we also need to be stubborn survivors. We must learn to work our way through the little tough times to be ready if God ever allows us to experience a Habakkuk-type situation. I hope we can claim I hope we can understand. I hope we can digest and comprehend this idea of the other side of faith. Habakkuk grabbed it. He held on to it. He, he cultivated it in his own life. And even when, look, at, look back at Habakkuk with me. Are you still there? Did you put something in there? Even when there's no figs, no buds on the fig tree. Even when there's no grapes on the vine. Even when there's no cattle in the stalls. What's he say? God is still my strength. I'm going to hold on. Be a stubborn survivor. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity today to learn more about Habakkuk and what he, what he went through and how he dealt with tough times. And, and God, help us to understand this idea of the other side of faith, where, where faith can keep us going the right direction, keep us from quitting, keep us from giving up. God, help us to grab a hold of this because there's going to be times, if not right now, there's going to be times when we need this type of faith. God, help us to continue to obey, to look at the things that you have for us and continue to obey and trust in you with that kind of faith as well. I thank you for the time we've been able to spend together today. I thank you for this great country that we live in, that we can worship you together. God, please bless the rest of our afternoon and thank you for allowing us to experience you today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.